Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy Frisch, and to all you marketing leaders and business leaders tuning in, we've got a great episode this week. You're going to hear from Natalie Lambert, who's the CMO at a company called Instart. Now, the interesting thing about her path, in my opinion, is that it's been very focused on this security world that she's in, and she's really managed to leverage relationships along the years to keep a team that she can trust and work together. And if you look at her resume, if you look at the path she's taken, many years where she took time understanding what that path looks like at Forrester as an analyst, and then very naturally went in deeper to the space, joining Citrix for a long tenure, going on to join a company that later was acquired by Citrix, where she served as the CMO, and now involved again with Citrix people time and time again with an understanding and a group that she can trust. And, you know, as, as we get into the second half of the show, she talks about a mixture of the importance of culture and content to delivering these great outcomes that she has for her teams. I think you'll learn a ton from this episode, especially how content doesn't just have to be a thought leadership exercise. It can really inject what your product's about and help push people through that buyer journey. Without further ado, here we go. I apologize for my slight cold this week if I sound congested, but Natalie sounds great. Here she is, Natalie Lampert. Hey, Natalie, thank you so much for taking time. In fact, rescheduling time because I missed our last time. We're now finally doing this and we get to hear how you became the CMO at Instart. First, just tell us how that opportunity landed in your lap, what it looks like, maybe size of team, company, et cetera. Sure. So Instart is a client intelligent website, web app security company. And you know our, our mission in life is to really secure the internet by enabling organizations to, li- to deliver secure and trusted experiences. You know, my path here really comes through how I'm sure many of our list- your listeners' jobs come to them through a network. I knew the CEO. Uh, I had worked with him in many roles in the past. And when he became the CMO uh, or CEO of Instart, he had given me a call and asked if I would consider coming uh, to work for him again at this team. So, you know, it was a great opportunity uh, to come work with an executive team that I knew because not only was he hiring me, he was also hiring a bunch of people that we had all, all worked together before at Citrix. So the CRO came from Citrix, the chief customer officer came from Citrix. So it was really fun to really bring the game back together. And the idea of working with that team again was incredibly exciting to me. So that's what brought me here. Very interesting. I, I, I like that idea of everyone coming back together, but obviously, and, and you're hitting on your career already here and how you got here with some an amazing brand like Citrix, where you spent over six years, you know, Citrix would be a very different skilled company versus Instart from what I can see on something like LinkedIn. I mean, Citrix, yeah. I, I, I don't even look up how many employees work there. It's in the tens of thousands. What is that shift been like not maybe not just for you as a leader but for the the many people who have joined there yeah so so you know to your point citrix has resources you know a company like citrix not only has a lot of people who can each be incredibly specialized in what they do but we also have the money to bring in expertise agencies and other types of things when we either have a 
you know, deficiency, or if we're going out to make a lot of noise, there's money and there's funds to do that. When you go to a startup, that, that flexibility, that those type of resources don't exist. And so it's been an interesting shift. Now for me, you know, kind of getting into my career, I went from Citrix to a much smaller company in between. So I had the real shell shock going from, you know, the 10 plus thousand employees to being the sole marketer on a team when there were 13 people in an office. <laughs> so, you know, that was the, the big shift. And, you know, there I was the only marketer for a year. And having come up through the product marketing background, I had to learn web marketing. I had to learn how to, you know, put a automation platform in place. I had to learn demand gen, not just creating the assets, but the actual programmatic aspect of all of that. So by the time I got to Instart, since I spent three years at Sappho, the, the startup aspect, the wearing multiple hats was old hat. <laughs> so right. um, it, it became a lot easier. And I think that the team that we have here has a real mixed experience of the large company and the small, which really enables us to think about how, what, what would a big company do and how do we right size that for our organization. So it's very interesting, Natalie. I'd love to dig a little deeper on that on that shift because you know, obviously, your CEO had confidence in you. You got confidence in yourself to bring people over with you. I, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast who may be working at a Citrix like company may be saying, you know, I, I'd love to get into something a little leaner, a little bit more growth mindset. How do you? What would be some of the things for? as a checklist for determining if it is the right person to make that shift because it's not right for everyone. And some people learn in their first six months and some people, you know, just know it. And then some people just have to explore. Yeah, no, it was a great question. And it's some of the mental thought processing I had to do when I made the shift as well. I think it comes down to, are you really happy doing your one thing and doing it really well and being known for that one thing? Or are you interested in, for lack of a better way of thinking, but being the person who doesn't know anything and having to ask the questions and having to reach out a network to learn? You know, I know I have a lot of friends, especially coming from the analyst background who, you know, they, they want to be the knowledgeable one. They want to be the one who has all the answers and, and can give that advice. And, and that for them, I think a big company where you can let that expertise show is a great place to be. For me, I'm, I'm always wanting to learn new things. And so for me, the idea of going to a startup, knowing that for the first, it was 11 months, for the first 11 months, I was on my own. I had to choose the automation platform. Now, I'm not going to pretend I didn't know what an automation platform was, but Marketo, when you're at a Citrix in product marketing, you are not paying attention to that stuff. Right. You, you have no idea how the system works. You don't know what's happening. You don't know how a website is created. You know there's developers and you know that there's infrastructure that is being developed on, but the, the aspect of that is, is outside outside of mind how programs work you know at a big company i might write a white paper that the demand gen team might find multiple vendors to use to do some type of content syndication or something or record a webinar and, and use those type of programs as a product marketer you are outside of all of those different things and so for me the idea of learning how to do each one of these and then not only learning to do it but learning to do it well and and for me i wouldn't hire a single person on my team until i had done that role 
So taught myself email marketing, taught myself content marketing, taught myself web marketing, taught myself demand gen. And only then would I bring somebody into the team to do it so that I had walked that mile in their shoes when they were having struggles that I could talk about you know, how I might do it now that I knew the processes for things. I love, I love that mindset. And, and I love if I can paraphrase the way you kind of set that up is, you know, that, that shift going from a large organization to a growth organization, even in a leadership position requires just being prepared to explore the unknown, being comfortable going through the forest without directions, which is, you know, a good way to to think about it as an individual. Are you a risk taker or do you like something that's maybe a little bit more expected as to what to navigate? Great way to make something short and sweet out of my very verbose. No, that was great. <laughs> yours yours is, is more contextual, which, which I think is very interesting. Now, there's another aspect that you hit on there, and I'm going to, you know, we're going to go in the DeLorean even further back in your career where you had a, another almost seven year tenure at, at, at Forrester where you were an analyst. Now, mm-hmm. I, I find that very interesting. I've always been in, intrigued to hire some of the analysts who I get to work with as a CMO on a day-to-day basis because they have so much context. Maybe you can help people understand, first of all, how you chose that as your first real mm-hmm. job or real part of kicking off your career heading towards a CMO. And, and how, did that, how did that groom you? Sure. So I, I have an interesting path. I was a computer science major in college. I loved everything I learned there, but I can tell you when I graduated, I had made the conscious decision that I was done learning the developer, <laughs> the, the, the um, engineering aspect of things, and it was time for me to move over more to the business. But that degree just teaches you so much. I mean, I had taken all sorts of classes in AI and operating systems and networking and all, you know, all these different things. But I wanted a job that kept me in technology, but removed me from being a developer. And uh, Forrester, I'm from Boston, um, Forrester was hiring uh, for a research associate in the computing infrastructure team. So applied there, um, pretty quickly got a job, the first and only job I applied to out of college, got that, um, very lucky there, and just had an amazing team around me of, of analysts who were just out to, to support everyone on the team, especially the junior members. And so that role gave me the ability to work with the analysts covering a wide variety of topics in security, computing infrastructure, networking. You know, I remember working on reports on grid computing, if you remember that market, which is, you know, became cloud and all of that fun stuff. So, you know, my, my career just through uh, computer science brought me to Forrester as a research associate working with all the analysts, doing a lot of their primary research, really understanding the buyer or who at the analyst time are customer challenges and working with the analysts on the reports that they wrote to address each of those challenges. Very interesting. And, and I'm curious, the the emphasis on analyst relations, which is always, mm-hmm. especially in, in growth companies, it's a question, who's going to own that? Who's going to define it? Makes a lot of sense with product marketing. How have you structured ownership of that today with your understanding of the importance of those relationships and, and what they can do for your, your placement in the market? I probably, because of my background, do this a bit differently. And every company, quite frankly, even, even at Citrix to some extent, we had an AR team, but I took the lead in doing all the analyst briefings and things like that for my product. 
and then at uh, both Sappho and at Instart, while I have a substantial team now, you know, we were, we were up to 16 people, I have always personally owned AR. That is something that I keep as my individual contributor hat because I think I know, I know how the analysts work. I know how they think. And quite frankly, a lot of them are, you know, a lot of analysts are life for analysts. So they're ones that I worked with in the past. Uh, nice. So I felt that, you know, being able to call up someone I knew well that I worked with, it would just help whichever organization I, I was with. And also just knowing how to navigate that world, I think has helped as well. Very interesting. All right, maybe we'll we'll dig a little deeper on this. Before we take a break, though, there, there's a part of your career which I find interesting because, you know, everyone's now envisioning Natalie as this person who learned how to code, so understands security, and, and that's the origins, very natural. But your career kind of started before that in a way that no one is going to imagine. Do you want to do you want to share with people what you thought you were going to be growing up, perhaps? Sure. Drum roll, please. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, ever since the age of about three years old, I was, I was a trained ballet dancer. Ballet, to be clear, people question, what did you say? No, ballet. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I spent, you know, all the way until I was about 15 years old training as a professional dancer. I studied in New York um, at the School of American Ballet and American Ballet Theater. That was my career. I was all set to go professional around uh, at the end of my junior year of high school with no immediate plans for college whatsoever uh, when I got a stress fracture in my back. And uh, that that'll, that'll end it ended, up. that will ended everything. But one of the things that I was constantly doing behind the scenes, because in ballet, you're in the, you're in the studio whenever your friends are available. So the time that I was free never coincided with, with you know, when, elementary school, middle school, high school friends were available. I started to teach myself how to develop websites. So I don't remember if you know, remember GeoCities and things like that. Yeah, but of course. I had some prime fan sites <laughs> that I had <laughs> created in my interest in learning to, to, to code and, and do websites and things like that. That's fascinating. All right. Well, as you can see, the journey takes very many <laughs> twists that may not be expected. The same is with the buyer journey. We're going to dig into that with Natalie and her buyer journey that she's shaping at Instart right after a quick break here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies. And we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand. Hey, Natalie, and hey, everyone listening in on the podcast, we are going to dig right back in here, but we're going to shift from Natalie's career journey to the buyer journey that she creates. Now, Natalie, maybe you can share for me, you know, when you started to build this team or every time you add someone to this team of 16 people that you have now, what do you rally them around? You know, I mean, there's, there's so many elements, as you said, with different disciplines within marketing, but what would be your rallying cry for a new team that you stepped in front of as a CMO? 
So uh, what, what, I don't know if this is going to be the answer that you're expecting, <laughs> given uh, some of the things you've talked about, but for me, culture, team dynamics, 100%. If you can't create a team where every single person not only trusts each other, but is willing to pick up and help somebody in a discipline different from them, and if they're not willing to do that, and if they don't want to go out, you know, potentially have dinner and just do something outside of work with these people, it's not a team that I think can really successfully get together and work to accomplish a goal. So for me, the number one thing that I try to get everyone around is, you know, let's be a team. Let's, let's do things. Let's have a, an open, open and honest relationship uh, across everybody on the team. You know, I might be one of those leaders who's too transparent, uh, to be fair, but I just believe that if you can't build that trust, you're not going, you know, demand gen might not, you know, necessarily like something that product marketing does and things start to happen between the dynamics of those folks. And if you create that team from the onset, then those conversations flow naturally and, and everyone can rally around whatever today's current objective is. I love that. Uh, and I couldn't agree more. That's a, that's a big part that we obsess over here with my team at Uberflip is having a culture that, that goes beyond just what are we trying to accomplish, but you know, what do we all have in common? What are we trying to achieve exactly. together? What are our goals? Now, when you start to get into, you know, these different departments within your marketing department, I know that one of the things that you're passionate about is the role of content and that content mm-hmm. is not necessarily perhaps something that the content marketer owns alone, but, you know, in your career as a, as a product marketer and an analyst, you've seen the role of content that it can play yeah. to winning over the buyer. How do you, how do you rally the team around that? Yeah, I think content comes in many forms and content is created to accomplish many different things. You know, for us, I think in, in, in start specifically and Sappho uh, in many cases as well, we are getting behind a new way of thinking about a certain topic. You know, so in InStart specifically, this idea of web skimming and, you know, what can happen to user data on websites and, and you have to protect that differently than traditional web security technologies would have you do that. So, you know, for us, it's about, you know, first defining the problem and explaining it, understanding where the buyers are coming from and and what the perspective they have in their head is before they start looking for a solution. So again, to, to go to our world, you know, I think a lot of buyers in our space have web application firewalls. They have the big infrastructure things and they think that that's going to solve all problems as it pertains to their web applications. And so you have to start creating content that says, we recognize that you have a web application firewall and here are all the different things that that's going to do. However, there are these new types of threats that do X and you need a solution that does Y. If you just start explaining the problem from the beginning, buyers are going to say, oh, we have a solution to solve that. So it's about getting yourself into the buyer's head and how they're looking for solutions. And I think that's the best way to start thinking about the content and having the entire team understand these different perspectives that buyers have. So when our content marketer is asking for help with content, that they're all coming to the conversation uh, and the discussion from the same mindset. So Natalie, I, I want to go a little bit deeper on something that you hit on there, which is the the role of content marketing. And I think a lot of us associate content marketing as it's just got to be thought leadership. It's got to be so pure. But then there's 
others, and, and you hit on this, that content marketing can serve at different stages of the buyer journey and, in fact, can inject aspects of your product. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you would know that well, being an analyst and you know, being someone who came from product marketing. How do you find that balance? I think that I, I don't like strict rules, right? <laughs> so thought leadership, yes. You know, if you're going out to pitch thought leadership to publications, and using it as a byline. Yes, they don't want your product messaging directly in there. However, I do believe that when you're going out and doing thought leadership, there's definitely your point of view and aspects of of how you message your product in there because you're painting your story. It is your point of view. Thought leadership is really elevating that point of view. On the flip side, you have data sheets, which are you know, might very small, in a very small amount, talk about the challenge or the problem, but then it gets into all of the feature functions of the individual product. And then there's everything in between. You know, I, I don't follow strict rules other than the byline example, because that's a requirement for most publishers, but I don't follow strict rules that, you know, data sheets can include thought leadership and thought leadership can include product information. It just, it's, it's not, I, I, I don't believe in that, but I believe, and part of why I don't believe in that is because especially when you're in a new space and you're explaining a challenge to a prospective buyer, just telling them that, you know, something's wrong or their website might be insecure for X, Y, Z reason doesn't really help them. They want to know how to solve it. And, you know, to, to not be able to introduce a type of solution, you're just kind of painting the sky is falling without getting into some of the ways you can you can fix that so for me i believe you know there's no hard rules you know everything can fall in between those two i don't know outside you know the, the two um two extremes for thinking. sure thank you thank you thank you the two no problems and you know and, and finding that balance i think you know is really what we, we start to, to see that works so Natalie, I, one part I want to dig in a little deeper there is who owns this decision to determine that balance at those two different extremes? How do you determine whether it's going to be very thought leadery, you know, inject some product? Is that on you to oversee that? Or do you kind of empower the content marketer to make those calls? Is the product, you know, is another department having to kind of push their way in to make sure your product gets in there? How does this all, how does this all work in harmony? Yeah, so my content marketer is somebody who I have worked with for years. We worked together at Sappho. I brought her here with me here. She's just absolutely spectacular. And, and I think the amount of time that we have spent working together, she really understands how I do things. And we've, we've definitely come together to figure out what we believe as a, as a unit, how we like to see content. On the flip side, I think, you know, our product marketers have a lot of experience in this area. One of our, my product marketers was a CTO, spent a lot of time spending uh, with sales, with customers, you know, going into those sales meetings and explaining the challenges and being able to explain to them what our products do. And so he has a really good sense of the types of information prospects need when making a decision, when they're learning about a product and then what they want to know, or when they're learning about a market, I'm sorry, and then the product that comes with it. So you could put all of this together. And I think that the team really does a great job on finding that balance. L, my content marketer, really sets the strategy of, of the types of content we need. And then between herself uh, and our, the product marketers really work together to create that. And she's our primary editor and she'll tell them, this is missing. I don't want this in here. And, and she does a lot of that. So, you know, I think 
you know, having her make those decisions is, you know, has worked really well for us. She just, you know, my, my guidance to her is if I can help, if I can add value, please send it to me. Otherwise, if you think it's good, you do not need a checkbox approval from me. You know, go, go do it. And, you know, we'll, if there's any issues later, we'll address it then. But I don't ever want to be the bottleneck for that stuff. I love that. And, and it really does pull this part of the segment into full circle because I, I asked you originally what the rally cry was. It's culture. And it sounds like you definitely empower your team to make those calls on a day-to-day basis while providing you know, that general guideline that you know, content, as you said, can be king and really is what our buyers are looking for. But it's a matter of the team stepping together and, and figuring out how to find that balance. So I love that. Everyone has really loved listening to everything you've got to offer so far on your career journey, your buyer journey. If you're enjoying listening to Natalie, stick around a short break here and we will dig into her personal journey some of the places she's gone and how she makes time for those here on the marketer's journey All right, Natalie, we've unpacked various aspects of your journey and the buyer journey, but along this journey, you, you got to take time, right? As, as a CMO, as a leader, even we need breaks. I'm curious how many days you burned last year, like how many of your days off did you not use? And hopefully it's a low number. How do you make time to take that time off? I'm pretty good about vacations. I've got a lot of friends who basically force that aspect of my life. So it, which is great. I tend to take one, what I'll call real vacation a year. That is where I shut the email off. And the only way that some of the teams can get in touch with me is if they text me or, you know, contact me on Facebook or something like that. You know, that's when all email goes off and I've done some amazing vacations, you know, and listening to some of your previous podcasts, I was at, in Croatia this past summer nice. and um, the places that you mentioned on that podcast, I mean, uh, incredible. Um, I absolutely loved Croatia. It was beautiful. I think the, <laughs> the best vacation uh, was last year um, where I spent two weeks in Africa and that was just uh, not only incredible, it was forced vacation time because there was no ability to <laughs> check email when we were out on some of these safaris. So that's amazing. You know, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, that, that once a year to really shut off, I think is important. And then throughout the rest of the year, I'm really good about the long weekends. So, uh, you know, if there's ever a, you know, a Monday off, I might take a Friday to make a longer time of that. There's a bunch of places that my husband and I love to go around California where we'll take a long weekend and go to Carmel or go to Paso Robles, which is probably my favorite wine region in the world and spend a lot of time there. So, you know, I think it's about the, the one time to really decompress and then just taking the step away, even if it's a short amount of time. Uh, I love that. That sounds like you've got a great balance. And I, you know, I'm sure now everyone's curious, the most interesting animal that you ran into on these safaris. Well, I have to say, I, I mean, the, 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 the big cats, you know, whether it be the, um, you know, the lions, like all of the, all of the big cats were just so unbelievably gorgeous. And it was funny since I, I have two cats to look at their mannerisms. They're, they're just like my, wait, I have two Maine Coons. They're just like the Maine Coons, but bigger. <laughs> and bigger and, and a little stronger, a little stronger, and a little stronger, a little more muscle in there. But uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was really fun to see them in, in life-size giant size. <laughs> 
Amazing. Well, Natalie, thanks so much for sharing this this week with us on on this episode. Uh, you even heard Natalie hit on it there. We've we've got so many amazing marketing leaders who I've been fortunate to spend time with, and you can listen back to. So if you just stumbled upon this podcast, go and search for the, for our weekly podcast episode on Spotify, on Google Play, on Apple iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And when you can leave a review, let us know what you think. Until next time, this has been The Marketer's Journey. Thanks so much, Natalie Lampert, for joining us. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.